figured out that Pastor Joe's not here uh, this evening, <laughs> but uh, he's away um, this weekend, and it's just a blessing to be with you here uh, this evening. Welcome to our Sunday night service. Uh, for those of you that might be watching online, welcome also, and I also hope you are doing well. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 13 in the book of Hebrews, the last chapter. I titled this evening's message, Evidence of Our Faith, Evidence of Our Faith. I heard the question posed one time that if Christianity were a crime in our country, would there be enough evidence to charge and convict us? I always ask myself this question, and I believe it's a good question because I believe it prompts us to really take a good look at our lives. When I say we take a good look at our lives, I'm always reflecting on how do we treat others? How do we spend our time and resources? What are our relationships like? As I reflect on my own life, I have to be honest with you. When I ask myself these questions, I like to think that I'm always showing that I'm a good Christian, but there might be those days when I actually fall short. Amen? We always fall short. There's days that we fall short. But in the book of Hebrews... We're encouraged to live in a, manner, in a manner worthy of the Lord and to show evidence of our faith. So chapter 13 is really a book about how we should be living. And I've titled it Evidence of Our Faith because if we were to be tried for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to try us and convict us? A little background on the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is unknown. But many believe it to be the Apostle Paul, just due to its style and its manner and the way that it's written. But many of us have looked at the book of Hebrews and really powerful, powerful words from the author in terms of the superiority of Christ and his superiority as a person and the superiority of Christ's work on the cross and the superiority of the Christian's walk of faith. So it's really a powerful book talking about Christ and what he's done for us. I'm going to give you a few key verses just as a little background from the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews, and you don't have to turn to it, but in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Such powerful words about the work of Jesus on the cross and our high priest who has passed through the heavens and he sits at the right hand of God. But... We have someone that who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who came in the form of flesh and lived on this earth, but was all points tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin. So let us come, therefore, boldly to the grace that we might obtain mercy and help in time of need. Again, in Hebrews, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so 
great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking out to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us as we live our life, knowing that sin can easily ensnare us, but as we come to Jesus, knowing that he can forgive us and restore us and make us well. All right, let's go on into chapter 13 and the text that I wanted to cover. I know it's the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, and there's been some great chapters prior to chapter 13. Many of us know in chapter 11, the heroes of faith, the great men of faith um, throughout the Bible. And in chapter 12, as I just shared, the encouragement of faith. But in chapter 13, we're going to look at what kind of moral direction does God have for us as Christian? Behaviors that show evidence of our faith. And I'm going to start with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And the theme for these first four verses is often called love in the social realm. And it's talking about how we love as we deal with social um, relationships and deal with each other. So let me read verses 1 through 4. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, adulterers God will judge. These first four verses, again, very specific about behavior. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. This is similar to earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 10, when he said, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Again, in Paul, in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says, but concerning, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. It really speaks to us as brothers and sisters. As we look around at each other, we should have that love for each other and those that are not only believers but non-believers. We need to be known by our love. And going on to verse 2, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Again, earlier in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Paul, when he was speaking to Titus, Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. During these times in the early Christian church, many people housed other Christians as they were traveling, other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And again, they're encouraging them here that you should be <clears throat> entertaining strangers because what? You never know who you might be entertaining. It might be an angel that you're entertaining. So we need to keep that in mind. 
Going on to verse 3 of chapter 13. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. This is in reference to making our concerns for others in the body. Many during this time were jailed for their belief, for being Christians, and they were being persecuted. So this was an encouragement to remember that there are brothers in Christ. And actually, in the world today, we're finding that many Christians across the world are being persecuted. Many are being killed. Some are being even jailed. So we need to be reminded that our brothers in Christ also need our prayers and our thoughts. Going on to verse 4 of chapter 13. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Here, again, a very strong emphasis about marriage and the importance of our marriages and, more importantly, our homes. They should be one of what? Loyalty, purity, marriage between a man and a woman. It's real specific here when it says, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So we need to remember that fornication, sex outside of marriage, and adultery, sex with someone other than our spouse, is improper and is sin. And God will judge us accordingly. When you look at the book of Corinthians and Paul encouraging the believers at the Corinthian church, what did he say in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor executioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He was very specific about that. Going on to verse 5 of chapter 13. And I want to stop here for a moment and I want to challenge you. And I know this and I challenge myself as I challenge you. We here at the church, Pastor Tony has been sending out a memory verse for the week. Each week he sends out a memory verse. And this verse 5 of chapter 13 is one of our memory verses that we were recently asked to memorize. So I look to you and I look to myself. Let me see. Can I say the memory verse as I look at you without looking down? (laughs) And let me say it to you. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with those things that you have been given. And what does it say? And the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I know that the Lord is constantly reminding us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. But you need to keep in mind, covetousness was one of the Ten Commandments, if you recall. Covetousness, thou shalt not covet. And covetousness literally means love of money, but it can be applied to a love of more of anything. You know, when Jesus, speaking in, in <clears throat> to the disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Covetousness is the opposite of contentment. Often covetousness and greed are excused in our world today. In fact, it's kind of admired at times in our culture, and sometimes they call it under the guise of ambition. But we as Christians believe contentment really has much more to do with what you are on the inside than what you have 
on the outside. The Apostle Paul, he said it well when he was speaking to the believers in Philippi, when he said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here Paul was just making an emphasis that it didn't matter whether I had something, whether I had nothing, whether I was without food and shelter. I knew how to what? Be content in Christ. And God would give me the strength. Christ would give me the strength. Whatever state I would be in, that I could withstand that and be content. I like this quote. It's often used by commentators when they talk about contentment and the love of money and different things. It's from a millionaire. A millionaire was asked, how much money does it take for a rich man to be satisfied? The millionaire answered, just a a million more than he has. (laughs) Just a million more than he has. That's the way it is sometimes. Just a little bit more. If we could just have a little bit more. We know that material things can never satisfy us. God can only satisfy us. So the most important thing in our lives is that we know Christ is our Lord and Savior and we not put trust in material things. The second part of verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Such an important promise from God. The Christians at this time found it one of the great sources of peace for them in their lives. And it was really taken from Deuteronomy when Moses working and, and living with the, um, the Israelites. He spoke to them as he spoke to Joshua and the people of Israel as they were preparing to go into the promised land. And this is from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 through 8, where it said, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has shown to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. This is really a great promise from God. They will never leave us nor forsake us. And he again says it to Joshua in the next book, when just Joshua, the book of Joshua, when he is speaking to Joshua in chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, he said, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I have not commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we need to hold fast to that promise. I like the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He had a little bit of a comment on this particular passage. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is what he said, Charles Spurgeon I cannot, under the influence of this grand text, find room for doubt or fear. I cannot stand here and be miserable tonight. I'm not going to attempt such a thing, but I cannot be despondent with such a text as this. 
I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I defy the devil himself to mention circumstances under which I ought to be miserable. If this text is true, child of God, nothing ought to make you unhappy when you can realize this precious text. This was Spurgeon speaking on this precious text. Going on to verse 6, another memory verse. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So when we boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. This quotation again is from the Psalms, Psalms 118.6, which says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's really meant to tell us that contentment only comes when we trust God to meet our needs and to be our security. Sometimes we often like to put security and contentment in things but they're really far less reliable and secure than God himself. Because what? Things can decay. Things can be stolen. Things can be lost. But we can never lose God. We can never lose his promises. We see so many examples of God in fulfilling these promises. Just look at the King David. King David in his life. And throughout his life, all the turmoil and distress and different things that King David went through. And what did King David, though, say? Psalm 27, 1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This was David as he was being fleeing away from those pursuing, from pursuing him. Again, in Psalm 28, 7, one of my favorite verses, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I praise him. As we reflect on our lives, I'm sure we're reminded of times when we've been afraid or lonely or needed to trust in the Lord and his promises. And I can be honest with you, I've had those times. I know many of you can probably attest to some of those times. Even, even today, some of you might be lonely or afraid or feeling <clears throat> down. And I've gone through those times myself, and I can share with you when I've gone through those times, what I've clinged on to is the promises of God. I recall one time specifically in my life when I was about to go through an operation, and it wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't something that many of you probably might have gone through life-threatening or dealing with now. But as I got ready for the operation, they wheeled me over to the operating room, and they set me outside, and they put me in the hallway and as I was laying there in the hallway, one more form had to be signed. And I signed the form about taking anesthesia. You know, anesthesia. And you know when you sign that form, it says, this is not completely foolproof. You know, there is possibility of death if it does not work properly. And as I signed that and the person went away, I thought for a moment. I says, hmm. I said, maybe is this the time? Is this the time that the Lord might call me home? And as I looked down the hallway in this home, there was no one. It was eerily quiet. And I said to her, I've never felt so alone in my life <laughs> as I sat there and contemplated going into the operating room. But what was I reminded of? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in the green pastures and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for thou art with me. 
Thy, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Thou preparest a place in the presence of my enemies. Thy anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I get teared up because my mom made me learn that when I was a young child. And there I was waiting to go into operating, and it came to mind, God, giving me comfort, giving me assurance. We are all encouraged as we read through the scripture. And let me go back <laughs> to chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. We are encouraged to remember our pastors and to obey them. They must be in the will of God and teaching the word of God. We're so fortunate here. Pastor Joe, Pastor Tony, they teach the word of God. And they're good examples of Christians in following after God and seeking him. And we've also been exhorted to honor pastors throughout the epistles. We see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in their love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Going on to verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He remains constant. He's the same in his character, in his person, in his attributes. His love for us never changes. It never leaves us. He is constantly there. Going on to verse 9 of chapter 13. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. During this time, many of the Jewish people who had become Christians were concerned. They were no longer following the Jewish rituals in terms of foods, in terms of eating only certain types of food. And this was a verse to encourage them that we don't need to be concerned about the eating of certain foods, but we need to be concerned about trusting Christ alone and his grace and mercy. Remember, and it's always come to mind, we have a relationship with the Lord. We don't have a religion. We're not following a, a bunch of rituals. We're trusting the Lord for our lives. Going on to verse 10 through 14, let me read these four verses. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Again, an emphasis to the end of rituals and following religious practices. But the new covenant is through Christ in his shed blood. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, no longer having to go to a certain altar or into the temple, but now knowing that our sins are washed away because of what Christ has done for us. And we can now offer our own spiritual sacrifices. And lastly, we look forward to his coming again. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, You also, as living stones, have built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ.
Going down to verse 15 of chapter 13. Therefore, by him, let us continue to offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It's so important. This verse is often referenced when we talk about our worship and why we worship. It's so important that we offer the fruit of our lips. Every service here as we come, it begins with what? Worship and praise. And it's more important not only to think about worship in terms of song and praise, but we also have to think about it in terms of our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings, our deeds. And deeds are really a form of worship. When we talk about our ministries and the different things we do, we do it out of worship. We're giving of ourselves in obedience to God. So it's both public as we do service, as we worship, but it's also private and the attitudes of our heart as we offer God our praise. In the book of Hosea, early on, believers, Hosea chapter 14, verse 2, it says, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we offer the sacrifices of our lips. Paul, again, speaking to the church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 20, he says, Give giving thanks always for all the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Going out to verses 16 and 17. But do not forget to do good and to share for such sacrifice God for such sacrifices God is well pleased. I think we all know we're to do good for others and to share of our lives. That's part of the Christian life. But how often do we do something for others that costs us time or resources? That's the true measure of giving and sharing. I'm always reminded of this. I think about my neighbors. And as I think about my neighbors, I said, what will my neighbors say about me? Am I a person what, that gives? Am I someone who shares? It, would it, my neighbors say, am I a Christian? Would my neighbors say I'm a Christian? And I know it can be challenging. I understand. I've had that challenge myself. I've had neighbors that are very unhappy, very angry at times. But what? I need to show them the love of Christ. I need to show them that grace that God showed us. Going on in, I'm sorry, in verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy, not with greed, for that would be unprofitable for you. This is an important verse for pastors, teachers, those that are leading, leading a flock of God. It's really important that they make sure their lives are living according to the will of God and our example to the flock. Because what? You must give account. They must give account. Pastor Tony, Pastor Joe, those of us that are in leadership, we must give account of those that are under in our ministries or those that are in our flock. And it's really important that they be what? Attuned to the spirit of the Lord and following the word of God. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, as Paul was encouraging Timothy, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Going on to verses 18 and 19 in chapter 13. Pray for us, for you are confident that we have a good conscience in all things. 
desiring to live honorably, but I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. The author here is emphasizing the importance of prayer. Pray for us. Pray for us. This is our plea. Pray for us that we would have a good conscience and to live honorably. We can't overemphasize the importance of prayer. Prayer is so important. What did Paul say as he was speaking to the believers in Philippi? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Going on to verses 20 and 21, his final exhortation or benediction or closing here, the author in chapter 13 says, Now, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is our great shepherd who shed his blood for us. The new covenant, Jesus and his sacrifice, we're reminded that he should be glorified in all things, and we're reminded that he may make us complete in every good work. Remember Paul, again, as he's speaking in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when he said, Being confident of this very thing, that he, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's doing a great work on us through Christ. God works in us and through us to accomplish his will. There is interesting part in this particular verse, the phrase make you complete in verse 21 is really a translation of a Greek word called kartotizio. Only those familiar with Greek would understand the phrase during those times. To doctors, it meant to set a, break, a broken bone. To fishermen, it meant to mend a broken net. To sailors, it meant to outfit a ship for a voyage. And to soldiers, it meant to equip an army for battle. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, wants to equip an army for battle. And we need to be prepared for that. How does he equip us? Again, Really important that we keep these in mind. He equips, he equips us by what? First, the word of God. What we're doing tonight, looking at his word. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God first and foremost Secondly, prayer, as I mentioned before. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And lastly, the fellowship. The fellowship of the believers coming together. Remember in the early church, the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in, in prayers. Paul, throughout the epistles in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
Some of you here are in those roles right now, and God is working through you. I know it's difficult. God works in us in different ways and works with us in different ways. And sometimes he works in our lives to teach us different things. And sometimes he uses fellow believers to teach us things. And I just want to mention, sometimes we'll have a fellow believer will help us to equip us for the work. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Sometimes God also uses suffering. This is very difficult at times. God will have us suffer for a time. And again, just to make us better. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We need to keep in mind God's doing a work for us. I like what the great commentator Warren Worsby said when he was talking about verses 20 and 21. He said, what a difference it would make in our lives if we could turn verses 20 and 21 into a personal prayer each day. It might go something like this. Lord, make me perfect in every good work to do thy will. Work in me that which is well-pleasing in this sight. Do it through Jesus Christ, and may he receive the glory. Amen. That would be a perfect prayer each day. Let me conclude here, verses 20 through 22 through 25. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with me the word of exhortation. For I have written to you in few words, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you. Amen. These verses are often cited why Paul might be the author of the book of Hebrews, because Paul was in Italy. And this is very similar to some of the conclusions and summaries that Paul had done when he had wrote the epistles. So let me, in closing, just remind us of a few things and bring the question back to you that I posed at the beginning. Is there enough evidence of our faith? Will we be convicted of being a Christian? Do our words and actions really exemplify Christ? Are we examples of love, as I said at the beginning of chapter 13, brotherly love? Are we examples of obedience and submission obeying our pastors, submitting to those in leadership? Are we respectful of our brothers and sisters? Do we keep them in mind? Do we, most importantly, study the word of God? Pray. Do we fellowship? I pray that, you know, we're all transformed a little each day in the image of Christ. I pray that each day as we grow in our walk with the Lord, that God does a work in our lives One of the favorite verses that I have out of the Bible is Galatians 2.20. I know you've heard it many times, but I'll say it again. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I pray that this might be our scripture and that we might live it. Amen. Let's pray, brothers and sisters.
Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening, Lord, again to thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you open our eyes to how you would have us live, Father. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, the importance of what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for all you do, Lord. We pray, Lord, that each day as we go out in this life, Lord, that we might be examples, examples of you, Lord, with our love, our sharing, Lord, our treatment of others and our relationships. They might call us Christ-like. Thank you so much, Lord, for blessing us so abundantly, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we go out this week, that you again, that you guide us, you strengthen us, you give us wisdom in all that we do. I pray again for the body, Lord, and that I pray for our pastors, Pastor Joe, Pastor Tony, Lord, again, that you would just give them strength, Lord, that you would give them insight, Lord, that you would just strengthen them each day, Lord, as they seek to minister to your flock, your people, Lord. Thank you so much for all you do, Lord. We again, we lift up our brothers and sisters, those that may be hurting, those that may be sick, Lord, those that might be dealing with difficult situations, even those here today, Lord, tonight. We thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the glory and the praise and honor, and we just ask that you be with us, be with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name I pray. We all said amen. amen.